Welcome to the latest episode of the Tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vasa. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week, we will discuss the new Angry Birds movie. We have a few new European funds, including Russia's Rune Capital and eVentures, an international fund which operates out of Germany and Europe. We have a look at European fashion tech startups, which have raised a whopping 440 million euros this year. Our editor, Robin, catches up with French VC fund Partech, and Neil and I will wrap up with a discussion of something interesting going on in the startup events space with Startup Sesame. So first, Angry Birds. It's not every day that a startup launches a movie, probably even less often that a European startup launches a movie. So Rovio's Angry Birds movie came out over a week ago in 37 markets and grossed $43 million during the first weekend in cinema. So that's actually not bad for a first animated feature. The movie seemed to be a hit in Russia. It brought in $5.7 million. I mean, I guess in Russia, it actually brought in more than the UK and Germany combined. So UK brought in $3 million. Germany brought in $2.7. The movie came out in the US and parts of Asia over the weekend. So that was including China and South Korea. Obviously, it's a huge risk for the company. Apparently, it cost over twice as much as what they've currently brought in to make the film itself. So hopefully, the momentum won't die down. Yeah, I mean, this was a massive risk for Rovio. And it's something that the people kind of in the, the industry or in the region have been saying for the last year, this is pretty much make or break for Rovio, the success of this film, or, or the, the failure of this film could end them, essentially. I mean, so, so really, it is such, I guess, a relief for those in the Rovio camp, how the film has opened, it looks like it will kind of pay off and they will at least kind of break even, hopefully make some profit. But I think more important than that, is the fact that this signals that the brand is still alive. I mean, and this is what it's all about, is that it's kind of transitioning from just being kind of a gaming company into a brand, into an entertainment company. I mean, they, Rovio have kind of long pursued the dream of kind of being like a Disney and, you know, building a modern day Disney. Uh, and I think this step or the success of this film kind of does give them a tick in that box that perhaps they can pursue that journey. I mean, talking about brands, I think this film also performed 20% better than the Lego movie, which I found quite incredible. So yeah, very, very promising signs for if this really was kind of make or break for them, then it's certainly looking good at the moment. Yeah, I guess for anybody who still wants to go see the movie, it has scored 54% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is actually relatively low, but has received a variety of different comments. I guess there's a lot of publications out there that, that give it very good reviews, some very kind of negative reviews as well. So it's, it's really very mixed. I guess The Guardian called it charmless chaos. The Herald Sun said it requires not even one brain cell. I guess that's kind of a hard one to take. And then again, I don't think this is meant to be like a deep philosophical film. So I guess it really also kind of depends on um, what you're going for. But Neil, you have kids. Do you plan on seeing the film? Yeah, I actually do. And also for my own curiosity, out of my own curiosity. So I'm really curious to see it. So I'm actually quite keen to go. And my oldest, he likes Angry Birds as well. He watches some, they also have like a cartoon series on Netflix and he's into that. He's a little too young to, to play the game itself. He, he can't really figure that out. But he does like Angry Birds, the, the brand or whoever uh, they are. I think it's just the bright colours. But yeah, we will be going to see it. But 
probably kind of 50-50 in terms of I want to see it and my son wants to see it. Great. Well, you will have to keep us posted. Now, a few new funds to keep an eye on in Europe. Well, first, Russia's Runa Capital has just closed its second fund at $135 million. The firm now has roughly $270 million under management. Runa is actually very international now. They have offices in Russia and San Francisco and London. For anyone who doesn't know the firm, they focus on Series A and B, uh, mainly in the cloud software for SMBs, digital health, financial and public services, and education spaces. Runa has actually already started making investments out of its second fund, which it started raising in 2014. It's invested in companies like Brainly, School Mint, Lendio, Mighty Call, and more. I actually heard about them because they invested in a French startup called Captain, which was acquired by Microsoft. So actually on their site, you can see they've had roughly five exits or so out of the 30 investments they've made so far. Yeah, I'm very impressed by how international they are. I mean, we always talk about, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be great if more funds invested elsewhere, the defragmentation of Europe's investor scenes I've talked about before on the podcast. But it's not easy to invest internationally, especially across so many countries as Runa have done. So I'm pretty impressed by that. I mean, because, you know, you have to get in on these deals, you have to be trusted, you have to be kind of accepted almost by the entrepreneurs or by the co-investors. So for Runa to be able to kind of invest in so many different countries, coming from a firm, you know, based in Russia, not a scene which is overly kind of exceptional in terms of investment or in terms of uh, startups, for them to be able to get in on these rounds in these countries and quite impressive companies, I think really speaks volumes to kind of, you know, I'm quite impressed by how they've done this. And they clearly must be quite a talented VC firm. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I also have to say that like, usually when, when funds call themselves international, they usually focus on one particular market or they've done like two investments outside of their main kind of territory. And this is really not the case. So um, definitely agree with you. And another fund that I think is really just truly international, and they've also just announced a new round, is eVentures. So eVentures is in San Francisco, in Tokyo, in Brazil. I think they have stuff in China. I feel like they're everywhere. Um, in Europe, they operate out of Russia and Germany. The new fund is $150 million, uh, so it brings actually their total assets to $1 billion. That's huge. Um, and this new fund will be specifically dedicated to European seed deals. So always good that we have more early stage capital floating around in Europe. I've actually started to see eVentures quite a bit. I think we talked about them last week or not too long ago in Farfetch's Monster Round. The co- which valued the company at $1.5 billion. I think they've also done a lot of other high-profile investments, including Sonos, Groupon. I don't know if Groupon is even still considered high-profile. They really have a killer portfolio. They're investors in Munchery, in Made.com, in App Annie. They're also investors in Auctionata, which we discussed last week. So I think just looking at their portfolio, I almost feel like they don't get enough credit in the European VC system. Yeah, I I would actually agree with you, Um, and not least because they're also one of the most active VCs in Europe. And I think this often goes under the radar as well. When you think of the most active VCs in the region, you don't think of eVentures, I think, you know, kind of stereotypically. But actually, when we we did the the funding report for last year, eVentures were one of the most active investors in Europe. So not only are they kind of backing some strong companies and going internationally, they're also very, very active, which of course is promising for the ecosystem. And this kind of 150 million new fund focusing on seed rounds will probably see them becoming even more active. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they are in literally the top five most active investors in Europe from now on. 
Yeah, I think definitely we're used to kind of always going back to Excel, Index, maybe a couple other funds as like the top European VC funds, but there are really some other killer funds out there. And I think both eVentures and Runa definitely should not be ignored. Now, I guess speaking about Farfetch, <laughs> European fashion tech is having a ridiculously good start to 2016. So European startups in the fashion tech space have raised a combined 440 million euros just this year alone. That's already more than they raised in all of 2015, which was 434 million euros for the entire year. So that also includes Israel. Europe already has some pioneers in the space. I guess we can count Germany's Zalando, UK's Netaporte, or ASOS. The, in 2015, the 434 million was raised across 54 deals. Now, in 2016, the 440 million has been raised in less than half that number, so just 20 deals. Obviously, that kind of points out that there have been some mega runs of funding. I guess Farfetch is definitely one to be considered, and Rockets global fashion group that raised a, a big round not too long ago as well. In terms of geography, UK and Germany are leading the way. France comes in third. I guess you'd probably expect to see Italy high in the rankings, but actually it's not. I think Spain was actually just after France and Italy's quite down the line. Uh, in terms of the most active funds in this space, I was surprised. Playfair Capital takes the cake, followed by Balderton and then Felix Capital. Um, I'm not sure how many people know Playfair, but they've also invested in Stripe and Hassle.com and quite a few more companies. So definitely a fund to know about if you're in that space. So Neil, everyone always says Europe is well positioned to own the fashion tech space. What do you feel like this news about the 440 million just this year? What does that make you think? Yeah, well, I think it, it shows that there's some promise. I mean, what it really shows is that you can secure late stage capital in this space. But at the same time, th these two deals make up 90% of that. So obviously, that is a big percentage of that. So then, you know, 10% have been raised by the rest of these companies. So then you're thinking these are still very early stage companies. So I would say that it's still pointing to the majority of these investments were made between one to $5 million. So actually, that points to still quite a kind of immature fashion tech ecosystem, I would say, at least in terms of investment, but at the same time, a very, very promising one, especially because we do have these companies like Farfetch down the line as well. So yeah, I, I would say that it's kind of a very promising sign. I mean, even if you remove those two big deals, in terms of the number of deals at this point of the year, it's still an increase from last year. And that's what we always say on the podcast as well. Don't worry too much about the total amount raised. Look more about the number of deals because that gives you a better picture of what is happening in that space. And I think this indicates that, yes, you can raise bigger rounds, but I'd say we're kind of still, we're still early days in, in terms of kind of a, a real kind of excelling in, in fashion tech, but I would say that it looks very, very promising. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think definitely a very good point to make on the fact that those two deals make up a majority. I think we'll, we'll have to definitely keep an eye on the fashion tech space because I also still feel like even though UK and Germany are very strong in this space, there isn't a clear kind of fashion tech hub, the kind of the way that London has kind of owned fintech and things like that. So I would definitely uh, love to see a kind of fashion tech hub emerge in Europe. And also, I'd love to see some more markets that we would ex expect, I guess, like Italy kind of rise a bit to the top in, in these areas as well. Now, our editor Robin had a chance to catch up with French VC firm Partech. Hey, this is Robin from TechEU, and I'm here with Marie from Partech Shaker. 
Hello, Robin. What's Partek Shaker? Partek Shaker, it's a, a campus, a startup campus based in central Paris. And uh, we, we name it a campus for growth through open innovation. And it welcomes both corporate companies and startups to help them grow together. Um, how is it different from a co-working space where people just can buy like a desk to work from? We are more of a network we have and we are more in, in a long-term relationship, which means uh, our startup residents are here from about 12 months to 18 months. And our corporate partners are with us at least for two years. And the idea is to build really business relationships and not only a, a, few, a quick pitch station. We really want to make it real. And also we are more into mature startups and scale-ups. Got it. Okay. So obviously the Partech Shaker is connected to Partech Ventures, which is the, you know, the international investment firm. Yeah. But does a company have to be associated to Partech, either be an investment or a, or a partner to be accepted into the Shaker? Mm, no, not at all. We welcome both Partech uh, companies and also companies not backed by Partech. At least it, uh, it has to be a, a digital company and it has to be business ready. That's it. Got it it okay. can be from all over the world as well. Cool. And you recently launched a very interesting, in my opinion, uh, international program. Can you briefly tell us what that's sure. all about? So it's called Europe Made Easy. And the idea is to help uh, foreign, uh, foreign startups to conquer uh, the European market from Paris. Also French market only, if it's like a, a company uh, in Europe already. And the idea is, in addition to the office as a service and the ecosystem, business ecosystem that we already provide, we have an, a network of partners in every field that a company will have to worry about when it arrives in a new country, such as lawyers, recruiters, accountants, a bank, and they have all agreed to give a 48 hour feedback to any startup coming from, from us. Wow. And the idea is really to, to make it simple from, for every company arriving in Paris to do business. That's actually quite impressive because if you look at France, on the one hand, the startup ecosystem is really growing, there's a lot happening. On the other hand, from the outside, the perspective is still that it's very business unfriendly, that you know, there are lots of regulation and strikes and the government's not very you know, innovation friendly. And how do you deal with that perspective? Like how do you deal with mm. that image? We are really aware of this image and, and of course, some events that don't help us, but we really wanted to, to design a program which deletes everything <laughs> that can be considered uh, business unfriendly. And um, actually, if you get to know more the French system, you can really take advantage of it in terms of creating a startup. You can benefit from a lot of help from the French government and the European government as well. So. I think we have to we have to work on this and mainly on the communication aspect because it's not unfriendly at all at the moment. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so can you name some international companies that have already chosen Partech Shaker? Sure. So the first international company to arrive here at the Shaker is Dropbox. So there we have the EMEA office working from the sixth floor now. We also have the French team for Pinterest, the international team for Hotel Tonight, and the European team for Hired. And probably they also come here for the rooftop view, which is quite frankly <laughs> amazing. We're just here now. I can yeah. imagine. It's really representative of the city. We can see <laughs> the whole city, so yeah. it's cool. 
it's really, it's really beautiful. If you ever had a chance, uh, all the listeners uh, to check it out, you should. Um, so a little bit more broadly, if you look mm -hmm. at the, the Paris ecosystem or the French ecosystem in general, the way it's been developing is quite uh, impressive. Like there's lots of part moving, um, you know, lots of investment going in, some exits, some interesting really big international companies come out of France. Um, how do you see this from the inside? Because it's easy for us, like as an observer, mm -hmm. to kind of see what's happening. But how does it feel from the inside? Sure. So from the inside, we can really feel it's, uh, it's growing. We can see more activity in accelerator, incubators. But I would say that this has been the case over the last five to ten years. And more recently, it has been um, growing money available to invest in startups and also growing help from VCs to their entrepreneurs and also um, a growing interest from corporate players in startups, in working with startups. I would right. say that mainly. Okay, well, let's keep the, the momentum going. Uh, Marie, thank you very much for the explanation and thank good you, luck Robin. with Partick Shaker. Thanks. And finally, we'll wrap it up by talking about events. Now, we have so many events in Europe. I feel like we started to have more big events, just more events overall. We don't yet have a Burning Man equivalent or a South by Southwest equivalent in Europe, but uh, we do have TechCrunch Disrupt, Europa's Founders Forum, Web Summit, which, Neil, I know you just love and have your own thoughts about, Slush. We used to have the web, now we have leaders. Um, there's just loads and loads more. I feel like there's just conferences everywhere. We have all these events taking place in all these different locations. And regardless of how you feel about events, because I know some people just can't stand them or think they're pointless, but they are today one of the ways we have to break down fragmentation in Europe. So there's this group called Startup Sesame, essentially a program that accelerates startups by helping them navigate the event space. And it's really very interesting. I guess they've teamed up with Atomico to kick off their second program. They received 180 applications from 35 different countries. And I think it's quite a clever play. I'm a little bit confused as to how Atomico is uh, really involved in the, in the new deal or partnership. But I guess you could really play devil's advocate as well and ask if killer startups need a program like this. Yeah, well, firstly, I'll, I'll just talk about Atomico's role because I don't know the details of the partnership or, or kind of how they're involved in a partner. But I do know that kind of one of Atomico's kind of main uh, aims is to actually connect the European hubs a little bit better or how can we go about connecting these hubs a little bit better. So I would suggest that it probably fits into that in terms of the way they're thinking. But I have no details on a partnership, but I do know that this is something close to Atomico's heart in terms of connecting Europe's hubs. So I would speculate that that is why they are involved. But as to as to the event space itself, you know, I mean, I, I'm completely split on this. I sometimes think if I had a startup, I wouldn't go to any events because I'm tech journalist. I get to, to go to most events for free, luckily. I think uh. if I had to pay, there is barely any event in Europe that I would pay to go to. I mean, that that is honestly how I feel. I don't think there's too much value to be had. There are a few exceptions, but really I, I don't think events are as valuable as we may think. But on the flip side, my network has been built up by attending these events. So I have a strong network in Europe. And the main reason for that is because the same people go to the same events, and then you get to meet people, you can catch up with people at different ones. And actually, if you don't go to one for a while, you almost feel kind of out of the loop, because everyone's been meeting up and catching up. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really uh, kind of split between 
where the value lies. And perhaps the question is whether not to, to go to events or not, but perhaps it's how you do it. So rather than going to pitch or whatever, which I think is pointless, you could actually spend time building relationships. So I think it's more about the mindset and how you approach events rather than whether you go to them or not. I think Startup Sesame is a good thing because it provides you access. You know, it does provide you with the network. It will enable you to keep going to to the events and seeing these same people and building those relationships. So I think because the program gives you access rather than, you know, making making you pitch or, or whatever, being too heavy on that side of things, then I think that it's it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I was going to just say, Neil, I think you've been spoiled not having to pay for these events. Uh, definitely journalists don't pay, but I think lots of young kind of entrepreneurs that maybe don't have a network, as you mentioned, definitely there's value to be had. And then also, I just think, how do we find out about a lot of the the startups, a lot of the funds? I mean, a lot of it actually comes from events and these pitch competitions and what have you. So maybe there is some value to add. I do think some events are ridiculously overpriced. Um, And then I do think uh, definitely we've also started to see over the last few years the same format of events. Pitch events are very similar and the whole concept of a conference is very similar. Um, We started to revisit a lot of the same topics, a lot of the same speakers. So I would argue that Maybe it's because we haven't had a ton of innovation in this space that maybe you don't think that they're um, worth as much as they may be charging. But um, definitely, I don't think they should be ruled out. And yeah, I think it's a good point that you mentioned regarding Atomico's role to bring the hubs together. That is definitely, I can see them uh, having a strong role there and um, definitely makes sense for them to team up with Startup Sesame in that regard. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the the pitching and how everything is the same. Um, I I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was at an event last year, which which I won't name because it's it's not their fault. Um, But there was a big speaker on stage, you know, 500 people in the crowd, something like that. Then the big speaker finished and the host got on stage and said, next, we're going to have a pitching competition. And literally in unison, 300 people stood up to leave literally in in one go and at that moment i was just watching from the side i just thought you know this is this is broken uh, the, the way this pitching competition or whatever an event this is simply not working anymore this needs to be kind of rethought so yeah i mean and that that's kind of my problem right is is that so many things are the same and i think you shouldn't worry too much about this side of things you should worry more about building these kind of informal relationships in the in the kind of relaxed environment that events do give you and that's it for this week you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes acast and soundcloud please give us your feedback uh, we always love to hear it we're on twitter at neil s w murray at roxanne Farza, at tech underscore eu and the website of course is tech.eu and we'll be back next week thanks roxanne thanks neil